Hello and welcome to Potshot. I'm Alex Towles and this week I am joined by Seb and Manus as we're going to look back on what has been a pretty successful week to be an Arsenal men's fan. Uh, we won't talk about the women's game on this pod. Seb, you can enjoy doing that with Will later on. Um, but we'll start as we usually do with a pot shot question. And I'm going to rip this straight from my Twitter. Um, do Arsenal score more goals with Darwin Nunez in their front line? Uh, I'm going to start with Seb because I know your answer. Who, who's the alternative here? Um, see, I've deliberately left it open. So when I originally asked this to you in our group chat, I asked it as a replacement for Gabriel Jesus. But then when I put it out on um, Twitter as a poll, more or less goals with um, Nunez in their front line, I deliberately made it more open-ended because, of course, Nunez occasionally plays on the left for Liverpool. So it's you could make an argument that you'd be swapping him in for Martinelli instead. I'll let you take it in whatever way you wish. I suppose all our attacking options, at least centrally, are relatively similar in that they're quite profligate finishes, as is Darwin. I'd say we'd score less goals with Darwin in the team. Um, I think the other options we have facilitate our wide players more than Darwin would, while him not yet being at the point where his genuinely incredible production of chances he creates for himself isn't quite yet mending to go. So perhaps in like a year or two, this would look different because he just found himself in a rhythm. But at the moment, I'd say less. Manos? Um, yeah, I think, uh, was this a thing on Twitter in the last week? Because I wasn't online at all in the past 10 days. Um, and I saw some of this stuff flying around. Um, Not particularly. I think people just talked about the fact that Darwin Nunez got a ridiculous number of shots in Liverpool's last game against... I, I don't want to say who against Chelsea. That was it. He got like seven, eight shots, four of which hit the bar. Eleven shots, four on the bar. He had more shots than I think a hundred teams have had individually across the season where they had less than eleven shots on goal in a match, which is just insane. Oh my gosh. Okay, so last game versus Chelsea was probably an, an anomaly from his side, I guess. Um, I don't know. I I was just, because you asked, I was looking at the XG numbers for him and he seems sort of like a Gabriel Jesus uh, sort of a entity, right? Who's a classic XG underperformer, except that one huge season he had. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we scored the same number of goals with him, but I think he is probably more of a striker-ish profile than Jesus, so he might end up creating more shots for himself. So I would say, I'd say just about the same, probably not more or less. See, I've so cheating a little bit, admittedly, because I'm not gonna say a one-to-one swap of like take out X player, put in Darwin Nunez. I suppose. The swap would be Eddie and Ketia. Take out Eddie and Ketia, put in Darwin Nunez, have him as a rotation player. But I think having a player such as Nunez would make us score more goals as a team because of two factors. First of all, his physicality. I think Nunez has that elite physicality in terms of both raw strength and speed. 
that we are missing in our front line. Like, we've got quick players like Martinelli. We've got Havertz, who's deceptively strong. But I don't think we have that player who is both very fast and very strong in our front line. And the second reason why I think he'd be good for us is the relentlessness with which he shoots. Like, Guy could miss... 30 shots in a game and he's still going to take the 31st like it's his first. There's none of that like like something we've been moaning about a lot with Arsenal forwards or well, any Arsenal players is how sometimes they take a while to have a shot take one too many touches or they're like they seem scared to have a shot and we'd rather pass it to the next person try and create the perfect opportunity. Darwin Nunez has none of that. None of that to him. And that is simultaneously why he will never play for an Arteta side, I'm fairly certain, and why I think he would make us score more goals if he was part of the team. He's the ultimate personification of the phrase, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Absolutely. He is an agent of chaos, and I love him very much. He's he's just very fun. Yeah, he has taken a ridiculous number of shots this season. I think uh, last season in like in the past three seasons, maybe he has like maybe around 80 shots on average in the past two seasons, not on average, like in total. But so far this season is already has 72 shots. That is ridiculous. That's a lot of shots. That is, that is a lot of shots. <laughs> so let's get into what was a very fun Liverpool game. After back-to-back victories in the league following the break, Arsenal hosted Liverpool in an important game for this season's title race. The hosts started strong, pushing Liverpool back into their own half and creating chances, and we were able to open the score on 14 minutes with a sweeping move that ended with Erdegaard handing Havertz a 1v1 with Alisson. He wasn't able to convert, but the rebound fell to Salah, who was more than happy to put it into an empty net. Arsenal controlled the game with and without the ball for the rest of the first half, limiting Liverpool to 0.1 expected goals, but still conspired to go into the break level. Somehow, a miscommunication between Saliba and Raya led to Gabriel bundling the ball into his own net just before the half-time whistle. Liverpool started the second half strong, but the 10-minute storm was weathered well, before Liverpool returned the favour with a gifted goal of their own. A Gabriel long ball to Martinelli led to a mishap between Van Dijk and Alisson, where the ball just bobbled free to Martinelli to put the ball into an open net. Arsenal held firm for the remaining 25 minutes or so, and Trossard sealed the deal in injury time with a beautiful goal. Who says he can't be a winger? Alex Collins. Yeah, Alex Collins and me. So I went to the pub to watch this game with a friend of the pod, Rithwick, who is a Liverpool fan. And we were sat with some other Liverpool fans. And when Martinelli came off for Trossard, I was complaining quite loudly about how Trossard isn't a winger and he doesn't have the pace to do what Martinelli does. And uh, I was being quite vocal about that. And then Trossard comes on and scores a lovely winger's goal. So, teaches me. So we were good in all areas of our play in this game, I think it's safe to say. But let's start with our approach on the ball. Uh, We saw a similar setup to what we saw in the FA Cup game a few weeks ago. A kind of 4-2-4 with Rice and Jorginho as a true double pivot with Erdegaard pushing up next to Havertz up front. 
Seb, what did you make of this rice Jorginho double pivot? I mean, overall, this was pretty much what I wanted the team to look like, slash expected the team to look like, on evidence of what we saw in the FA Cup. Arteta explained this really well in a TV interview. I can't remember who he was talking to. Talking about how with Liverpool, you're better off leveraging your possession deep, getting numbers deep and exploiting them in behind, rather than them not giving you the time to put a fifth uh, fifth player in the last line of attack to sort of gain control of the game through there. Uh, so I think this made a lot of sense. And the, the double pivot especially is something we talked about as recently as the last pod, where we were kind of talking about Rice and how he fits into his Arsenal team. And we sort of made the point that the best way of leveraging Rice's best qualities and probably the team's best qualities is with him and Jorginho as that sort of double pivot. There's a lot of complementary aspects those two have with one another. Jorginho is able to sort of take on those deep responsibilities when facing goal. They're able to maneuver off one another and relate their movements to sort of get these one-two passes to to gain access through the middle. Um, and I think they've done really well together, especially in this game. I mean, Rice won about a million <laughs> uh, recovery balls. <laughs> Uh, throughout the game uh Jorginho controlled the game well got a deserved man of the match award out of it and it's it's something that I'd like to see incorporated more into the team I sort of made the point that this feels like a double pivot team at times and I think this just goes to show that in the effort of maximizing the players we have putting those two together goes a long way in that I just want to say I think Arteta has finally learned that positional play doesn't have to be rigid it does not have to be rigid and you can interchange positions. So at the start of the game, when the lineups came out, I was skeptical about the lineup because I thought Jorginho would be the lone six, uh, Rice would be the number eight and Havertz would be number nine. But that wasn't the case. And I think this goes to show that Arteta is a more of an intelligent problem solver than he gets general credit for in any 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 public circles. Uh, and in any analytics, wherever you discuss football, I don't think he gets enough credit for that because I think 100% this game was a double pivot game when you consider Liverpool out of possession, which we'll probably discuss more. So this is a point from later in our pod plan, but I want to bring it up to now because I think it makes sense to talk about it now. Um, and that is the role of the left-back. Obviously, normally... When we play with a single six, that means it's Zinchenko or whoever's playing left-back's role to invert in possession to form a double pivot. Um, but with Jorginho in the side and this true double pivot, as we've been calling it, Zinchenko didn't need to do that. Uh, Zinchenko then came off at half time, I believe, through injury. Am I right in saying that? I don't think we have any info on that. Okay. Yeah. People were kind of assuming it was injury at the time, but either way, Zinchenko came off at halftime for Jakub Kivio, who continued to do a good job in that left-back role. Manas, what can you tell me about Zinchenko's more traditional left-back role in the first half? So yeah, again, uh, just want to go back to the point I was making earlier about being intelligent in a possession play and being, you know... uh, it, that the fact that it doesn't have to be rigid. And I think in this game, we exploited Liverpool's press 
brilliantly. I think they wanted to press us in a four-one-four-one, which is ideal, which is probably the ideal way to play against this Arsenal team. But because we have a pivot, we were building in in six. We have we had six people in build up, and they were pressing us with five people. So there is always always one man extra, and because they did not press the centre backs with any any curving runs, that they were pressing very vertically straight on, it was possible for the centre backs to play the ball behind, and and this is where. The interchanging between Jorginho, Zinchenko, Havertz, and Martinelli created a, a lot of progression for us centrally. Uh, I think the tone was pretty much set for this game in in the second minute, where uh, I think Gabriel has the ball, and I think it's either Gakpo or Gravenberg who decides to press uh, Gabriel straight on. Zinchenko inverts, pulls whoever's the winger. I think it's Gakpo inside. That creates the angle for Paul to go into Havertz. I think it's Havertz who comes out from striker to left back to receive, or it's I think it's Jorginho. It's Jorginho, yeah. I think yeah. Jorginho, and, yeah, Jorginho and Zinchenko have sort of laterally decoupled uh, and moved out. So, so, I think so we, what, what laterally decoupled? What, what, what do you mean? Do you mean they just swapped? They just swapped, yeah, basically. Cool. Just a fancy word for saying swap. Uh, Zinchenko comes in, uh, Jorginho. Strolls into the left back position from you know uh, from the blind side. Nobody's tracking him, and he receives an easy pass. And that's like we just build out possession from there. And uh, I think this set really set the tone for the whole game. Zinchenko was very. I think he's very smart in possession. He knew when to uh, come in and when not to come in. Uh, midfield was not where he was usually coming in. Very which used to see him invert. He was inverting into number eight when we have built up. From deep up till perhaps the midfield line, that's when he times his inversions into number eight, uh, so that Havertz can probably go out or Havertz can stay as a number nine higher. Depends on where the ball is, who has the ball. So I think that was pretty excellent. I don't know why he was brought off. If it's injury, then fine. But um, because I haven't watched the second half, I don't want to talk about Kibir because I was watching the game and sort of like. A public setting, so I don't remember uh, a lot of the detail from the second half. Fair enough. Uh, Kivior got a lot of praise for his performance in the second half, especially because people have been somewhat shaky on him at left back before. Uh, but he put in a very good performance in that second forty-five. Um, I think people were one pleased with his defensive contributions. So there's a possibility that. Arteta brought him on from a defensive point of view to kind of lock down that side a bit more, put him up against Gakpo, so Zinchenko can't be physically outmuscled in that sense. Uh, but then also, people were impressed with what he did in attack. Um, and perhaps that is linked to the fact that he didn't have to invert. Um, we did see him moving up the pitch a lot. Um, Seb, can you can you give me an overview of Kivior's performance at left-back in the second half? I think he summed it up really well. Um, I think mainly his sort of positional sense and ability to sort of get in with his winger was a large part of what made him stand out and able to sort of shut down that side in a way that Tomiyasu had done previously in these games against Liverpool. Um, and on the ball, he's he's genuinely generally a good passer and he's able to sort of 
be in more traditional left-back spaces. He has struggled a bit when being tasked with this sort of second pivot role coming into midfield, which is a bit odd considering he has played as a nominal six before at Spezia. Um, but nevertheless, he, he played well. He had a similar performance to what he did in the FA Cup game, again, moving back there where he again was tasked with being that sort of left back that occasionally when able was able to get up the pitch and sort of form that auxiliary fifth man in attack when able. You compared him to Tomiyasu there, and I think on the ball, Tomiyasu-esque is a really great way of yeah. describing his performance uh, in that he was tasked with bombing up and appearing in the front line in ways that we wouldn't expect to see from a left-back normally. Uh, and I distinctly remember there was one ball across that he nearly got on the end of uh, where I was just laughing to myself <laughs> in the pub. Because I, I was like, what is Kivior doing there? Yeah, it's great diagonal movement into the box from, I think it was a Saka cross, or I think he was off at that point. Odegaard. Probably would have been Odegaard, yeah. I think it was Odegaard, yeah. Yeah. Uh, friend of the pod, Kian, tweeted during the game after that move, give your better instinctive movement than our strikers, oh my god. <laughs> Which I, I think sums up sums up how how strong he was positionally, not just defensively, but in an attacking sense as well. It's very fun. Um, speaking of attackers, let's discuss that Erdogan-Havertz combination a little bit more. Um Another tweet from another friend of the pod, uh, Abel Mezaros, who was on the pod last week, um, made a tweet during the game about that 4-2-4, which you discussed before, and how Havertz was vacating the last line. Instead of pushing up and occupying, occupying Van Dijk and Kanate in that way, he'd drop off into the left half space next to Erdogan uh, to form a box midfield in a way, I guess and allow Martinelli and Saka to run beyond onto more direct balls. Uh, Seb, can you expand on that a little bit more for me? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a pattern that's pretty well known, especially if you've been paying any attention to Brighton over the last 18 months, watched some Deserby football. Um, the general way in which we look to sort of break Liverpool's pressure ha- was extremely Deserbian and in its intricacies and that that last line abandonment to form a sort of box midfield to get openings there and sort of the main thing there is to create positional structures wherein you're able to create sort of third man principles and third man runs to progress the ball up the pitch vertically and break through their press if you want the perfect example of that look back at the goal we scored the first one from Saka where we start the ball deep, sort of move their <clears throat> move their interiors around, get them to to bait the central defenders, move it out wide, and then it's Gabriel into Havertz who moves it back into Shorginho, and then sort of spins and runs in beyond. And Shorginho plays the pass to Martinelli, who then brings it inwards to Odegaard, uh, who then is able, who also dropped off the last line. The Liverpool defensive line is a bit combobulated, and he's able to play that ball into Harvards, who's arrived in that space rather than positionally occupying it. And those sort of movements you're able to create if you put the, if you you're able to vacate the last line, find those patterns where you're able to 
uh, vertically pass and get those third man combinations going to move the opposition in ways in which you can exploit them in behind. Yeah, I saw a replay of our first goal put out by the official Arsenal account, like with the build-up play included. And it's a truly, truly beautiful goal. Um, It's really, really nice. It would have been even better if Kai Havertz knew how to put the ball either side of Alisson. But you know what? You've got to give it to him. I would never have thought to play a wall pass off of Alisson to let Saka put it into an empty net. I'm just not the galaxy-brained football mind that Kai Havertz is. I think it's important to mention that Havertz had a an excellent game playing this role. He's sort of... The, the role he's played is probably what makes him stand out the most. He's able to drift into positions where he's able to play these wall passes and get into combination play. And through the, uh, through the space that's created, then being able to exploit that and get into runs in behind and create threat that way. He had another, I think, one over an XG worth of chances, most of which he's created through his movement. And we we sort of had a few moments as well where we're, we, we found him in positions uh, when we were sort of consolidated in their half where we were able to find those half space crosses into the far post where Havertz was located. Didn't Apart come to from much, that one but, time where Kivio was there. Apart from that one time where Kivio was there. <laughs> didn't come to much, but it's it's improving signs that we're able to sort of recognize the talents we have and use them in ways that gets the most out of them. Yeah, I, I just want to say, like, Havertz is like the, truly the enigma of a footballer. Uh, I think in this game, he displays... Uh, some of some some midfielderesque qualities of you know knowing when to come, knowing when to hit the space. Uh, I'm sure it's rehearsed like in training. I think this this sort of game. I I don't think we've played this sort of in possession four to four kind of thing before. Um, but I think it was FA very Cup smart against Liverpool when to get... it was I think the only time we've seen it this extreme as it was last, uh, right. at the weekend. But yeah, I think just his like positional sense, uh, when to come, when to go, uh, when to come come for a wall pass, how deep to come, uh, and I think his uh, the main usage of his is probably off ball. Like I think there's just an outsized advantage of having him uh, when you want to hit a long ball. Uh, I think he won two or three. Like he didn't win the ball, but he gets a foul or. You know, he 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 doesn't allow the defender to win it cleanly and you sort of, from there you get the second ball. So I think in, in that sense, he's extremely useful. Uh, I think he put his body about very, very nicely in this game. I don't uh, think there's yeah, many think, players who are able to hang in duels, aerial duels with uh, Konate the way yeah. he did, where he drew those fouls from him. The numbers have gone round about the fact that he lost a lot of the duels that he put up in that game. Which, fair enough, but yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I think that's the fact that he'd lost that many jewels, but we're still here talking about how he put up a good fight against Kanate rather than it. Like, the eye test says that he at worst played 50 50 with Kanate, at best played him off the park. Like, Kanate literally got sent off, played him off the park. Um, and I think. That's down to what you guys were talking about, where even if 
he's not won the duel in a statistical sense. He is, like, Kanate isn't coming away with the ball cleanly either, right? Like, we're picking up a lot of second balls off of that and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think Havertz has got a lot better off the ball in possession, I think, this season. Like, we've talked a lot at the start of the season about how good he was off the ball out of possession. Like, he was always good there. But I think that's something that's picked up a lot has been his movement off the ball. Off the ball, on the ball. Off the ball when we are in possession. Uh, Now, if we can just fix the bit where he actually receives the ball, then we got a world beater. Yeah. (laughs) But sadly, like, his on ball stuff is just, like... I, I like I had no faith that he would score that chance. No, I, had I don't think any zero of us had. That no. he would be he he could place it or he could put any sort of power with his right foot onto that shot. Like I was like, oh damn, any but anyone but him. <laughs> uh, but anyone else but him wouldn't have got the chance. I suppose is the counter argument. Yeah, yeah. So because his movement creates the chance. Yes. Yeah. Anyone have anything else to add on in possession stuff? I think it's worth to mention the performance of the wingers. I think mm-hmm. in this setup, the the obvious places where threat is being created is on the wings. And for two players who've been sort of criticized over recent weeks for their performances, largely down to just one being very, very tired. Um, I think the performance of Martinelli, especially, who's come under a lot of criticism, rightly in my opinion, um, stood out as posing that sort of vertical running threat, getting in behind, it sort of showed itself quite early in the, I think it was the 11th minute or 10th minute, where there was a ball and Martinelli literally ran past Konate, who is an incredibly fast defender, and sort of got the inside track of him and was able to... He got the ball across and then Saka couldn't get the head, the plant ahead on it enough to put it in the goal. That's an important thing here as well, is that he's not only was able to win his physical duel with Konate, but then also have the awareness to pick his head up and find the run of Saka that created that chance. Well, we learned from Trossard's shot, from Trossard's goal later in the game, that if he just shot at Allison, it probably would have gone in. That's true. <laughs> um, and I, I do think we had a lot of joy down that left-hand side, Liverpool's right-hand side all game. Uh, I think... Thinking of Trossard's goal, where he kind of jinxed past Gomez, then... Who is it? Elliot, I think? Because Kanate had been sent off Probably, by that point. Probably, yeah. Um, and then legs it down the left-hand side. I remember Martinelli doing a very similar move to jink past Trent and then Kanate earlier in the game. Uh, and yeah, it just... we Our wingers played very well. And in ways that our wingers haven't played well many times this season, I don't think. So that's good. Yeah, and to close out the in-possession discussion, I just want to say, like, the I think this game is... Uh, and I tweeted this uh, after the game, that this is the, a good culmination of the fact that we were the best team... Uh, I, like we've played Liverpool, I think how many times now? I don't know. Three times in the last four and, weeks or something. Yeah, and we've been better than them in possession almost every game. And basically, they just scored scored through variance and when they create transitions, right? 
and in possession in this game we really teach them a lesson um because where the team who's positioned uh, uh you know correctly where where the ones who who's creating numerical overloads where the team who stag who's staggering their midfielders and center backs correctly to access them in possession and liverpool just don't seem like a team who can play football on the ground uh against any any big team I I don't know if I'd go that far. I would say in game in any big games like this, I think their their strategy was to just hit it long. I think if if you look at the first half, I don't know how many like they don't get a lot of chances to hit it over the top, but I think that's the way that they're trying to score. Mm. And that's how they scored against at Anfield as well. I think that's largely a consequence of how their squad is built, right? I think especially in big games their biggest advantage is leveraging the physical power of their front players to sort of hit those first-time balls in behind and get those long balls to create second-phase opportunities. And I think through that as well, uh, David Raya had a really good game quietly in sort of stopping the danger before it came in. There were a good handful of opportunities where Liverpool played it into our box sort of high and Raya cut the ball out immediately, swept up well before any danger was even created. And he was really good at those quick launching counterattacks, balls, like either through quick throws or quick kicks that we praised a couple of weeks ago when they led to a goal in the Palace game, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And we saw quite a few of those in this game as well. Um, I, I think on us versus Liverpool over the course of this season, I think it's fair to say that we've been better than them in possession over the course. I think the game where you could make the biggest argument about it is the is the game at Anfield, where it was much more even, and I think you could argue it either way. Uh, the FA Cup game, we wiped the floor with them in the first half, and then in the second half, things got much more dicey, though I think... You could definitely say that we still were better, the better in possession side, even if we got unlucky and were less good than in the first half. And then in this game, we were better than them through the full 90. Absolutely. Uh, And on that note, I think it's a good time to have a break. Cool time on the in possession discussion. When we come back, we'll be discussing how we were better than Liverpool out of possession as well. What a lovely break. I have a fresh new glass of unidentified soda. Manus, I know you've only rewatched in detail the first half, but you still rewatched it in some pretty good detail. So can you please walk me through uh, some of what you noticed about Arsenal's out-of-possession structure in the first half? Yeah. But first, I think it's important to understand how Liverpool approach their in-possession <clears throat> structure uh, to under- correctly understand how Arsenal try to nullify it. Um, even though our out-of-possession principles were the same, but uh, the way that Liverpool uh, lined up in possession was that they tried to send their centre-backs really wide. Not up to the t- not like touchline wide, but they were like, the width of the box wide, which means that they couldn't circulate possession at the back as well as Arsenal do because we have three at the back. Instead, Liverpool had two at the back and they tried to push 
because they tried to push Alexander Arnold really high and wide towards the right to hold the width. I am assuming the idea behind this was to have sort of an outlet, uh, Salah-esque outlet to hit and then Alexander Arnold can like put, put in the crosses for Jota, who's very, very good in the air. So I think that's the idea there. And then they try to invert um, Gomez from left back into the centre midfield. And the idea there is to have numerical overloads in the centre with McAllister, uh, Gomez and one of either Jones who either goes into left back when there's an inversion, very similar to what Zinchenko and Jorginho were doing. But they didn't do it as effectively because Van Dijk is already occupying that position that sort of zone, right? And the other one is probably at times it was uh, Gravenberg who was coming in deep. So they were sort of oscillating like who comes deep to try and have three in the middle against Arsenal's two pivots who were pressing. But uh, I, I think and why I said what I said earlier is that Liverpool, because they didn't stagger correctly because they weren't wide enough, they, they didn't have... Uh, anybody who could play the central balls except like it fell to Allison to try and do that and that's I think that's where we sort of exploited them out of field where Havertz would uh, when Allison has the ball Havertz would just stand he wouldn't press but he would just stand and block the right hand side pass into Konate who's wide which and then uh, you have Odegaard who's sort of blocking the lane centrally and ready to jump Van Dyke if Allison then you know, because we want to show the pass to the left, to Allison's, sorry, to Van Dyke's left foot, not his right foot. So we want to force that pass. Uh, and we know that passing into McAllister with back to goal is a risky proposition because Rice is on his ass. And then, you know, either Jorginho is, uh, you know, coming up on Jones who's dropping or Saka is sort of covering Gomez. and But he also has an eye on whoever's coming into left back. So I think it's it's a mixture of uh, you know knowing your man-to-man press and handing uh, handing over responsibility of whoever's dropping. So one of Rice and Jorginho have to be very very smart on who's pressing up and when to press up. And I think we had much 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 more intensity in, in the press than Liverpool did at any any point in time. And because we are much smarter in in positional play. Uh, we were able to exploit their press a lot more better. I don't think Liverpool's plan really worked in possession at all. Uh, and because our press was incredible, uh, uh, really intense, really man-to-man, um, we they just couldn't build centrally. The only option they had was to either go along through Van Dijk or Alisson. And as I think there's a special mention uh, that we need to give to Odegaard in the press, who I think more so than on the ball, he was much, much better off the ball. Because I, I really don't remember Odegaard on the ball moments. He was great on the ball. I'm just going to yeah, leave it in here. But, I, I, he, he, he was great both sides of the ball. Yeah, I remember, I like, I really like how he pressed Van Dijk. Like, he couldn't yeah. let him settle the ball onto his right foot uh, and switch it into switch it to uh, Alexander Arnold. Like he does with the Salah most a lot of the times. I think uh, the principles of the press are pretty much the same, but I think the execution is very good. Um, we don't like our wingers don't get baited inside like Liverpool's wingers did uh, onto the centre backs, and I think that's where sort of tactically Arteta outplayed outplays Klopp because 
positionally uh, our build up is far superior than Liverpool's so I'm not going to claim what I'm about to say for myself as my own observations. I am fully taking this from the notes of Lorcan, who unfortunately can't make this week's pod because he's very busy this week. Uh, but Lorcan was talking a little, a little bit on Twitter and a little bit in our group chat about Arsenal's hybrid press. So when we talk about a hybrid press, this is something that John McKenzie talks about on TIFO all the time. Uh, we talk about an approach which is a mix between going man-to-man and having one guy pressing another guy on the opposition team and a zonal press where you have an area which is yours and you go and run at anybody who goes in your area. Manus, you've talked about how our approach was pretty man-to-man, at least on the front line. Uh, can you go into a little bit more of the hybrid aspects of our approach? Yeah, I think the hybrid aspect is when you, when your high press gets beaten, how quickly you can fall back into shape, right? Uh, and that's what we sort of do, is like we disengage very quickly. If if the if the press in the first line is broken, so for example, let's say Al, uh, McAllister is able to receive in turn, which he was able to do in the second half because Klopp changed some things. Uh, I think we'll, we'll come to that as well. But for so let's say if, if he's able to receive in turn and go, how quickly can you fall back in, in, into your mid-block or like your zonal sort of uh, structure, right? In the first half, I don't think that's an issue because... I don't remember a lot of in- instances where they're able to play through us. I don't think there's there's an instance, but I think once uh, there's there's this moment where Jones receives turns and drives, uh, and you know sort of pulls the first line of the press a little deeper. That's when that's the cue, uh, and then he go- goes back and plays it into centre backs. Uh, that's the cue to drop drop into your zone. And we already know that Arsenal have a have a very elite press defense structure. So I think everybody's already in the correct position. So we're able to drop into you know our zones, our, our correct the correct line, correct structure very very quickly. Uh, so I, in the first half, I don't think that's an issue at all because I don't think they bypassed us for there to be any effect on on a hybrid press. I would say, but perhaps like I'm missing something. Uh, but in the second half, I think we just sort of started slow and we just let them have the ball because like like the, the way that we ended the middle part of the first half, we just sat in our structure in, in the middle of the pitch. I, I don't think they have, they had, like I talked about, like they don't have the correct staggering. They don't have the correct, you know, like the passing structures to play through us anyway. One of the most important roles in any game against Liverpool is the guy whose job it is to stop Trent from doing Trent things. Manus, can you tell us about how we tried to stop Trent from doing Trent things in this game? I think Liverpool stopped Trent from doing Trent things in this game by <laughs> by not yeah. having him in possession. Right? I, I I was surprised. Like, where is he? I couldn't spot him. And then like he's 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 playing right wing apparently. Uh, but yeah, I think at times he would drop drop into the center of the midfield. But then again, like because we shadow and we, you know, we we press in an elite manner, uh, we don't just we don't allow access to the ball to Trent. Uh, 
I'm sure like if we go and see his touches, I, th- I think he probably one of the lowest touches he's ever had, I guess, in this game. And because he only played, what, like 60 minutes? Uh, I think 50 minutes. That's when they made the triple change. Yeah, they got hooked for yeah. Robertson. Yeah. Just I for think- context, uh, j- j- sorry, quickly, just for context to put that into perspective, uh, Joe Gomez, who played 85 minutes, had 59 touches of the ball. Uh, Van Dijk and Konate, who each played nearly 90, with Konate being sent off slightly before that, had 108 and 195 uh, touches, respectively. Uh, McAllister in the six had 83 touches. Trent had 40. According to FB Ref, uh, the 39 touches that Trent Alexander-Arnold got this game is the third lowest he has had in any game this season. The two games which he had lower touches are the game against Chelsea and the game against Tottenham, where he didn't start. Chelsea only played about 20 minutes as well. So Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I think that just goes to show that I think they sort of misused him because he would have been useful uh, playing at least in maybe in the first line or the second line uh, and being an active sort of sort of either a ball magnet or sort of a four number false number eight where he's just drifting into position like Zinchenko was doing. Honestly, I think this is kind of like not the really tactical so I don't think Liverpool wanted to start Trent in this game I'd be fairly certain that they wanted to start Connor Bradley who's been playing really really well recently but unfortunately due to I believe a family bereavement Mm -hmm. late last week uh, he missed this game so I reckon the reason why Liverpool are playing Trent as a traditional wing back is because they've been drilling all week playing Connor Bradley as a traditional wing-back, and then he's unavailable. So rather than change their entire system to fit Trent in, they've just slotted him into what they've been drilling. I think that's fair. Yeah. But I think even then, um, just to cover the uh, the fact that he was wide, uh, high and wide towards the right, uh, first we stifled Van Dijk's you know, like access to the ball to try and switch. And then Havertz and Martinelli had a very active role in filling in as left-backs. Because Liverpool, I think that's what they were drilling. They would they would have either Gakpo, Gravenberg or uh, Chota sitting on the left left centre-back and one would sit on Zinchenko to try and pull him, pull of two, both of these guys inside so that they could access that angle. But we didn't allow that. Havertz would drop in, Martinelli would drop in at left-back and that's how we stopped them. So I think it was smart. Uh, it's something that uh, Arteta maybe read very, very quickly on um, what's going on and he sort of changed it. Um, yeah. I think we, we stifled uh, Alexander pretty well. I think less from a structural point of view and more of an individual point of view. I think what this game showed is just the influence of some of the, the additions we brought in and some of the players we already have in making us as defensively solid as it were. I if you're if, if once we do drop into those sort of mid low block situations where we sort of consolidate in that 442 rice and his zone of influence is incredible like the speed at which he is able to jump out and get into actions is just ridiculously good um same with Havertz and Jorginho in that those two are exceptionally good at sort of filtering play out wide and sort of blocking off those central areas. 
I feel White is someone we need to sort of mention as having a really good game, apart from the fact he was booked on 30 minutes for time-wasting because he took another 40 seconds to get a throw-in in. He uh, seemed to have improved a lot, both in terms of just being better as well as just being fit, which is, I think, a large part in improvement across a few players. Um, his 1v1 ability out wide has improved markedly since the break and I think that was evident here as well where he sort of went into foot races with Luis Diaz and covered ground exceptionally well as well as just the general superiority centrally we have with our central defenders yeah I remember talking before the game about how important the midfield battle was going to be in this and then the lineups came out and Liverpool's starting midfield was Gravenberg, McAllister, and Jones. And I think Lorcan said in our potshot group chat, if we don't win this game, we're not a serious team. Uh, which, first counterpoint, we're not a serious team. But that aside, I, I think is quite true and played out in the game just with how strong we were in midfield areas and how we just completely nullified any threat that they had. It's a complete. It's incomplete aside, right? But I think this game, to a certain extent, is sort of evident in how overperform, how much Liverpool have been overperforming this season, and sort of raises a lot of questions we had at the beginning of the season. A lot of us, in terms of their squad building, there where they brought in so many players, but end up playing McAllister as their lone six and oh, leaving sure him I- exposed. I'm not sure I'd buy that. I think I'd flip that on our on its head and say that the fact that we were able to nullify Liverpool so completely, who have been one of the best attacking sides in the league this season, is just a show of how disciplined and how how strong we are as a side. I, I don't think I don't think we've shown Liverpool up to be frauds in this game because if it were easy, everyone would have done it, right? That wasn't necessarily what I wanted to drive at here. It's more so that I still have this slight feeling that their run they've went on for these last few weeks isn't sustainable because they do have some inherent flaws, both in their system and in their personnel, that we showed up incredibly well in this game. But I, And apologies for talking about Liverpool and an Arsenal Tactics podcast. But I think if those flaws that you've got in your system are only really able to be shown up by the other teams that are at the very, very cream of the crop in your league, then you're doing quite well for yourself, right? Counter-argument there would be that I think they've been shown up quite a few times, but they are to a large part able to negate that against lesser opposition by the sheer quality of having game breakers like Alisson, Van Dijk, Trent and Salah in their team. And the counterpart there is they've been able to they've been able to cover up for it, therefore they are a very good side. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Yeah, I mean they are a good side, but it's just like these structural things sort of come come back. Like it's it's mm-hmm. a it goes around in circles. It's we know because it's happened to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like to be clear, I'm not saying that Liverpool are equivalent to the hundred point side of a few years ago. Um, like they're not, but they are definitely good enough to win the league title. Man says team top of league in February <laughs> is good enough to win league title. Is no revelation, but 
I, I guess what I'm driving at is that while they're not like the complete super team that they were years ago, they're not like they're no pushovers. Maybe yeah. having a six would mean that they'd be that next step up, but yeah. To bring the conversation back to Arsenal, uh, we've been talking about how Liverpool haven't got a great record against the very biggest of sides because their tilt to attacking means that it's very difficult for them to do so. Arsenal, on the other hand, more defensive tilt, have had an excellent record against the biggest sides this season. We've beaten Manchester City twice, once in the league, once in the Community Shield. Um, We've beaten Liverpool here, and while we have not been so lucky in the other occasions where we've played them this season, as discussed, on balance, we've been the better side against them. And as we put one eye towards the latter stages of the Champions League, which are coming up soon. I think this bodes very well for our potential ability in that competition. Um, And I think we've played these very, very elite sides enough now in this season to say that Arsenal are very good against the biggest sides. What do you think it is, Seb, that makes that the case? I think we've been discussing the reasons why it is that way since the summer, right? I mean, I don't think we've talked about anything more than the fact that through our additions and through the changes we made in the summer, we are an exceptional out-of-possession unit. And through that and through different variations we've used in different games, especially if we consider the Manchester City game where we had key personnel changes that led to... that literally led to the moment that won us the game. We are well set up to negate threats of opposition teams, especially the big teams. And in those fine margin games where you're sort of on an even keel and the opposition show the requisite ambition to win the game that leads to space being created for yourself, we are able to play in those conditions quite well and we're able to sort of compete at the very highest level with the team we have. I'm going to use this slightly differently in that to temper expectations a bit in that though the setup we used in this game and the way we played this game was exceptional and for this occasion the best thing we could have done, I don't think we have yet answered the big questions that probably will decide how competitive we are in the title race and how we are able to play against teams that will negate the way we play and will sort of shut up shop a bit. We haven't yet mentioned the uh, Nottingham Forest game, which happened after the last pod we did, in which a lot of the central issues we have in breaking down low blocks still reared their head, even though we were able to get something out of that game. But yeah, there's still a lot to be done to be, I think, where we want to be. But the changes we've made have made us extremely competitive in the highest competitions, which is still one of the reasons why I think, apart from experience, we have a lot of things that could go a long way in the other big competition we're still in. I think that's that's because big teams want to play football as well. And that's where we really excel because uh, I think, yeah, I think like Seth put it, the only question remains remaining to be answered is the lesser teams who will not engage us. Who will sit back and uh, defend deep, perhaps uh, 
not not pressers not like a brighton or a liverpool where we can actually play our game like you know in those states we're very good we know that we're we're an excellent team building out of the back we can defend transitions should they arise but the question is can we break down those deep blocks and do we have the right personnel to do that and i think there's an important distinction to make here uh because we've talked I'm joked before about Arteta being the Lamazia Moyes and us <laughs> essentially being a juiced up Everton or West Ham or whatever like that and I don't think that's the case yeah because if you're looking at a game like this it's not like we sat in a low block and frustrated Liverpool for 90 minutes and it's just that our low block defense is the best style of low block defense in the world we dominated the game and domination is words that Arteta has used a lot recently. Um, we impose ourselves in a way that teams that are good in just a classic low block defensive way don't really do. And I think that's what sets us apart. Like we're not a, we, we are a passively good out of possession side. We've seen that when players get sent off, we can sit in the low block and be very good at it. But that's not the way that we are playing these big teams. We're not going there and just sitting back. We are dominating the game just without the ball as much, if not well, more than we are with it. Yeah, I definitely do agree with that. But it's that part of the season where we drop a lot of points in December uh, and in January. that sort of has people doubting that do we really have what it takes to go all the way this season and i think that that is the real question to ask and i think like we do i, I still think that we can go all the way um and this game especially proves that and now but we we definitely do not have a lot of margin to drop points anymore this season we're definitely we've definitely also reverse that tag which uh we sort of earned in the Wenger years that we're not a big big game team anymore which we definitely are i think in the last what like 6 7 big games where we haven't lost um yeah i i think there was a tweet where we haven't lost in the last 5 or 6 big, big games that we've played at least the top 4 or 5 teams this might hmm. be wrong but i think of the last since like 2122 at sort of the end of 2122 let's say it's since 2022 i think the only big six games we lost was in jan 2022 when city got that late winner at the emirates the very yeah. very contentious game at the tottenham hotspur stadium that season and last season i think the only game we lost against the big six was the both Manchester City ties where there were mitigating circumstances in each but still i think we've we've come a long way in sort of making ourselves competitive there i don't think the question is at this point in the season is are we a good enough team to win the league because as manas as you said we are like we we've shown that in this game and we've shown it in the games against the big sides this season the question is have we left ourselves enough margin of margin of error to win the league 
I think it all comes down to consistency, right? I think yeah, exactly. the biggest question we need to answer to see if we're able to compete in the league is if we are able to find that balance, both in terms of structurally, uh, from a structural standpoint, as well as, and I think most importantly, from an individual standpoint, to find that balance to be able to consistently beat the sort of more destructive in nature teams, right? And to to find a balance where in in which we're consistent enough to pick up points where we don't have these freak games against West Ham where a lot of our in possession struggles came home to roost. Yeah. And hell, even if that proves true over the back half of the season, then because of the fact that we haven't been able to do that earlier in the season, we're gonna be we're gonna find ourselves struggling. Like if we if we pick up the same number of points per game as Liverpool and Manchester City in the back half of this season, we're gonna finish third. And I think we can answer the uh, the question of how good we are versus a low block uh, better after the next game. Like we, I think we can do that in the next. Yeah, game. I don't because think we there's know. a better uh, litmus test than West Ham yeah. away because we know exactly how they're mm. going to play. I mean, Manchester United just beat them 3-0, so I don't know, maybe they'll be shit. Mm. <laughs> have, have you seen how that game went? No, I didn't watch it. I was too busy getting myself to the pub to watch the game afterwards. That's yeah. true. Nine times out of ten, West Ham win that game. It's, it's grotesque how they got through that, but yeah. Uh, and on that note, which is a weird note to end the podcast on, talking about a 3-0 win for Manchester United, but it is what it is. Shout out to Devils in the Details. Shout out to Devils in the Details. They released their new episode yesterday as your as this podcast is released. And we're glad to see them back putting out pods weekly again. So go and give them a listen if you don't. They do very similar stuff to what we do, except about Manchester United instead of about Arsenal. Which, if you're an Arsenal fan, makes for excellent listening. Because Manchester United at the moment... It's kind of a bin fire over there, so it's fun. But that's by the by. Thank you to Seb and Manus for coming on this episode. It's been a pleasure as always. If you want to find them, you can do so on Twitter. The links to do so will be in the description, as they are for the whole Potshot crew, and as they are for the pod itself, which you can find on Twitter at PotshotPod. Please leave a like and a review if you have enjoyed this episode. It always helps to have positive likes, positive reviews, gets the word out, um, brings people in, gives them a dose of tactical goodness. So please do share the pod. Thanks to James Blake for making the music. You can find him on all good music platforms at JWBlake. And lastly, thank you to you for listening. We'll be back next week after the West Ham game, which after... All that we've been discussing, I'm sure, will just be a 1-0, very frustrating defeat. So, we'll see you there for that. Cheers. <laughs>